You're listening to F1 Nation on this week's episode. Rubens Barrichello on surviving at Ferrari. Gunter Steiner point-blank refuses to watch Drive to Survive with us. F1.com's Lawrence Barreto on such an incredible week in the driver market. And Rosanna Tennant faces another challenge, this time with Esteban Gutierrez. And now, recorded at various kitchen tables across the UK, this is F1 Nation. It's great to have you with us. I'm Tom Clarkson. And I'm Alex Jakes. We hope you're all keeping safe during what are still very difficult times, but we've got a little bit of escapism coming your way now and reminding everybody what a wonderful sport Formula One is. Okay, let's get to the highlights from your week. Tom, what are you going to pick? It's all about 70 years this week, isn't it? Because it was the 13th of May, 1950, that Giuseppe Farina won that first ever World Championship Grand Prix. And a highlight for me was talking to Martin Brundle, who's the only guy on the planet who has driven race-winning machinery from every decade of Formula One. And he had a lot to say. It was fantastic. How about you? I have a slightly strange one in that there is a very talented producer called Matt Amos, And he has made his name in the last couple of years by putting old graphics on new videos or new graphics on old footage. And he's done that again, this time with the very first race, Silverstone 1950. And he was very kind enough to ask me to provide the commentary for it. So my highlight this week... Well, hang on a minute. Can we hear that for real, AJ? That sounds amazing. You've actually voiced that first race. Well, can we hear it now? Go on then, just for you, Tom. Let's hear a clip. And that's Fangio! Fangio pulling into the pits. We're hearing he's hit a straw bale and the damage to his engine looks set to drop him from second position way down the order. So there you go. Yet more noise, but this time about 1950 and took about five months to make that video. All the graphics, telestrating stuff. It's a great watch and it feels real, which is why it was so easy to get into. It looks like a modern race. And yet it's the old footage back from 1950, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Career highlight, you shouting, it's Fangio! (laughs) Yeah, you can't beat that. Fangio, for goodness sake. I mean, he didn't win the race, but still, the big man. Let's get to the big news of the week. Sebastian Vettel out at Ferrari, Carlos signs in, Daniel Ricciardo switching from Renault to McLaren. We begin with Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel's first Grand Prix victory for Ferrari in just his second start for the team. At the time, I remember people were saying, wouldn't this just be typical Vettel? Alonso's been there. It's not worked for him. Vettel jumps in the car. Ferrari look like they're coming good, but it's not quite worked out that way. The world was his oyster back then, wasn't it? But he hasn't achieved what he went there to do. Yes, he got the 14 wins, but he hasn't won the world title. So, Why don't we just remind ourselves why he was signed by Ferrari in the first place? Listen to pressure on Ferrari. I've hired Vettel. My feeling that he's a guy quick. He's a guy, he's a nice person. He's a guy that loves Ferrari. He's a guy that he knows the responsibility. But I think that maybe he doesn't have... 
the strength sometime. This is my feeling from outside. Uh, it's possible to do some mistakes. Michael makes mistakes at the beginning. Don't forget it. Is uh, uh, that to motivate, to protect him, to give uh, to him all the confidence that the team is with him. Uh, from outside, uh, I don't like to make uh, statements, but my feeling at this, he needs more support from the team. This is my feeling. That's Luca de Montezemolo, former president of Ferrari, the man who signed Sebastian Vettel, telling us why he did and perhaps why it's not worked. Let's get some more context now. This is Rubens Barrichello, former Ferrari driver, catching up with Tom earlier in the week to discuss how you deal going through those gates at Maranello. The one that really needs to be on the top of his mind management. This is, for me, it's, uh, it's the, the most uh, obvious thing because the pressure, there is pressure everywhere you go, but there is, you know, there is the Ferrari pressure. There is the, the fans. I mean, the fans gather around the, in the you know, the, the wall in, in, in Fiorano just to see you come. I mean, that's already a, a love. Uh, it's just unbelievable. It's just, uh, you know, there is a, such a nice feeling, but a, such a, a pressure feeling. So, obviously, uh, someone that is on the top of his uh, mind management is is got to be fast because uh, you cannot be so centered and so balanced if you're not fast. Because if you're not fast, then you, you definitely have some, uh, some doubts on your mind. I mean, Seb... Is it is a driver that with all the championships that he got, he has a combination of great things because he's German, so he's cold when he needs to be, but he also has some some uh, some emotions, isn't it? It's it's nice to see him smiling and sometimes talking out of his mind because then it's a, it's a little bit of a Latin emotion sometimes. But there's always pressure because the, the biggest pressure is the one that you have inside your head. Ferrari is the top of everything. It's the top of uh, organization, top of feelings. It's great to have Ferrari cars. It's great to, to be in Italy. It's great to eat at, uh, at the, the restaurants in Fiorano. It's great to drive a fast car. It's great to everything. But it's also the top of, of, uh, of the pressure for sure. I'll never forget Rubens's expression when he signed for Ferrari in May of 1999. He was driving for Stewart at the time, and yet he couldn't hide his utter delight. And I don't think he knew back then exactly what he was letting himself in for. As Montezemolo was saying, and as he's just said there, it is unlike any other beast. And learning how to tame that beast will be uh, defines whether a driver is successful or not. And I think there was so much friction between Vettel and the team come the end of 2019 that everybody just needed a fresh start. And I think Carlos Sainz is a real hard worker off the track. I think he's a great guy. He's a brilliant racer on a, on a Sunday in particular. I mean, it's a huge moment for him. A two-year deal with Ferrari in his back pocket. It's going to be tough. He's up against Charles Leclerc, but you know, he'll reckon he can do it. It's it's his shot at the big time, isn't it, Alex? And what a job he did last year. He really turned things around. Difficult start. 
in 2019 and then he made that team his own he is a liked guy that's going to help him get mechanics on board you have to win hearts and minds at ferrari we've heard that from the last two clips and i think carlos's performance not only on the track last year but the way that he took on that team leadership role put him in great stead to get settled early and quickly and remember that was the advantage that leclerc was able to show he got himself settled in Really nice and early last year. And for more on this, let's bring in F1.com's senior writer, Lawrence Barreto now. Lawrence, were you expecting this news? I was, without trying to sound too big-headed. Um, <laughs> over the last two or three weeks, it's become clear that Ferrari, even before we knew that Sebastian was leaving Ferrari, that they were looking at their options. And Carlos, for a long time, actually has been in their mindset, even if they weren't taking it that seriously. He was always one of the drivers that they thought could could step in alongside Charles Leclerc. And then in the last couple of days, it's really accelerated. And I was, I personally was quite surprised at how quickly it all came together from it being a good shout to, oh, it's all done and dusted. I was, I was surprised by that speed, but I wasn't surprised that they finally made that announcement. Is he the best man available? That's the question. So many contracts seem to be coming to an end at the end of 2020. Was he the right man for the job? I suppose with Ferrari, it's never really about the best man available. It's about the best driver that works with their plan of action. And their plan of action at the moment is to build that team around Charles. Now, I'm not saying that when Carlos signs this deal, he had any interest in being a number two driver because he doesn't. He doesn't want to be a wingman. But I think that they wanted a driver who wouldn't rock the boat. They wouldn't disrupt what they're trying to achieve there, what they're trying to build. And I think Carlos can fit that bill very nicely. Um, I think he will push Charles. And I think that in terms of who was available, there are other more experienced drivers, more proven drivers, race winning drivers. But I think I can understand why Ferrari have gone Carlos's way. This is quite a shift for Ferrari. I put up a, a statistic a couple of days ago that said, as we stand right now, you have to go back to Austria in 1999 to find a Ferrari pairing with fewer wins. And that was only because Michael Schumacher had broken his leg. This is a new Ferrari that we're seeing, isn't it? Because first they brought Charles on with no real experience other than the year at Alfa Romeo, then Sauber. And now they're looking at the youngest lineup I think they've ever had. I don't think the inexperience in terms of results is going to matter too much because I think they've got full confidence in Charles to lead that team. And they've seen that Carlos at McLaren can lead a team. Obviously, it's not on the same level as a Ferrari, but I think they've shown that he's shown enough to prove that he can step into that role and hopefully get going really quickly. But it, you're right, it's a massive, massive change of tact from Ferrari. What happens if Charles Leclerc breaks his leg early next year? Is Carlos Sainz the man to then go and deliver victories and maybe a championship for that team? Well, he hasn't proven that yet, but that's because he hasn't had a car to do so. I think that every opportunity he's had at McLaren, he's taken it. And I think that that's the best that he could have done at McLaren. Personally, I think he will be able to do it. I think he'll be able to step up because I think he seems to revel like many great drivers. They revel in that kind of pressure to deliver and having to deliver when it matters. And I don't think he's going to break. I think he's more than capable of doing it. I think they can rely on him. And do you think that that's what he proved across last season? Because if this had been announced a year ago, I think everyone would have gone, what? I mean, he did so much work last year, maybe switching a reputation round that had taken a bit of a bashing because Renault didn't choose to keep him and Red Bull had the choice to keep him in the fold, let him disappear. 
hardly ringing endorsements. How much work do you think he did last year, Lawrence, to repair his standing in F1? I think that's one of his strengths. Um, you talk about perception of him going up into that point. He was beaten by Nico Hulkenberg at Renault. So he was coming into the team. They weren't, I guess, publicly weren't sure whether he could step up to the mark. Then I don't know if you remember, but the f- opening few races, he didn't score any points. He, he was having a bit of a shocker, to be honest. But he managed to bounce back straight away. Never at that point did he let his head drop. He never bothered to worry about the detractors. And I think that shows to Ferrari that he's very much capable of dealing with pressure. Obviously, it's going to be a different type of pressure at Ferrari, but it shows that he's capable of doing that. And then as the season went on, he kind of managed the relationship with Lando. And I don't mean that derogatorily. I just mean that he he made a good move in terms of making sure he was always on top. He was the one in that team because Lando was highly rated. And every single chance that he had in a race when he was, you know, when McLaren weren't always in a position to challenge for big points. He took them. Lawrence, what about this statistic? Qualifying last year, 11-10 to Lando Norris at McLaren. I feel that Carlos has certainly got a bit of work to do on his one lap pace. Would you agree? Yep. And I think he would admit that is the case as well. But I think it shows how strong he is in the race that he always pulled it back. So like he finished comfortably ahead of Lando in the Drivers' Championship. It's not ideal that he's given himself so much hard work to do. But I think if we were to go back and look at some of the best race starts, those first sequence of corners last year, you'd say that Carlos's starts were among the most entertaining. You know, he found himself battling Lewis a couple of times just because he got a good getaway. And I think it's not ideal and it's going to hurt him if he can't get on top of it quickly at Ferrari. And no one's going to want him to have like a 2021 naught record against Charles in in qualifying. But I think he'll more than make up for it in the race. Again, a, a lot will depend on what car that Ferrari give him. What do you think the expectations are from Ferrari? You mentioned right up top that he's not going there to be a number two. But don't Ferrari deep down want him to be a number two? What they don't want is for him to go in and think he's going to win the world championship in his first season, if I'm honest, because that's no good to them because they've got a guy in the other car who thinks that. But what they do want is for him to go in and be able to win races, to be able to score podiums regularly. Because I think the thing they really, really want is the Constructors' Championship. And so they are desperate for a driver who can deliver that. And I don't, I don't think that in the first year, Carlos is going to wind Charlotte. I don't think, I think they're going to get on quite well. It might only be if they end up quite close at the end of that year. I think the following year, it could become difficult. But then Charles came into Ferrari and everyone thought he was the number two and he ended the year as the number one. So there's no reason why if Carlos can't continually push Charles in the way that Charles did to Seb, they can't, they won't swip, swap it around again at the end of the year. Now, one man who might have wanted that Ferrari drive is, of course, Daniel Ricciardo. But the other big news of the week is that the Aussie's on his way to McLaren. What do you make of that? Oh, he's played an absolute blinder there, I think. I think he finally got tired of Renault and maybe the promises that they were making him of what they could offer him in the in the years to come after a disappointing first year. And he thought that McLaren, uh, Zach Brown, wanted him. He tried to get him before he went to Renault. He's come back calling again and this time Daniel didn't say no. What's changed at McLaren for him to accept this offer when he didn't accept it last year? I think it's twofold. I think the first thing to mention is that Renault just weren't delivering what he wanted. So he was looking elsewhere anyway. And I think he selected McLaren because they're just the up and coming team, aren't they? They're this 
the orange cars on this trajectory where you can see that they're the closest to challenging the top three teams. Uh, they've shown time and time and again that they can deliver and they can be reliable over the course of last year, particularly with Carlos in the car. And I think Daniel reckons that he can go there and do even better. Um, and he just want, all he wants, I think, is to be kind of racing for podiums again, or at least trying to fight for podiums. And I don't genuinely think he thought that was possible at Renault. I think they've been flirting with each other for a while, haven't they? Because I remember chatting to Daniel in Abu Dhabi last year and completely left field. He just came out and said, uh, started asking me about Andreas Seidel and how much he rated Seidel. And he thought McLaren were doing such a great job. And that was in, what was it, November last year. When it comes to relationships Daniel's really good at managing those and I think he's he's very smart actually whenever I interview him he often asks me what's going on like what have you heard and I think that that just shows that he's quite inquisitive that he's kind of quite keen to be abreast of everything so that if he needs to make a move he's he's well placed and he's got all the information to do that I think he would have been impressed by Sadal and what he's done at McLaren I think he's done a fantastic job I'm sure you guys would agree the proof of the results on track was probably that enough for him to to push him over the line. I imagine they've paid him a good whack as well. Um, but I think that mainly it's that they've got a car capable of challenging for big results. I don't think Daniel Ricciardo is going to be in Formula One for that much longer. I think, you know, four or five years. Um, and I think that he felt that this move was a huge move for him. He couldn't afford to go to Renault and become a forgotten man. By going to McLaren, he puts himself at the forefront. He can be the guy who really brings McLaren back up to the front again, you know, other guys have done the hard yards, but he can swoop in here and really push them, make that big step. This is going to be quite some pairing, isn't it? Because we've got two drivers with huge personalities now. Uh, there was a lot of talk last year about McLaren's new era in terms of personality with signs. Now it comes with a proven race winner. I think this is why McLaren are so delighted that they've managed to get Daniel to sign on the dotted line because it's great for their investors. It's great for the team. It's great for brands, McLaren, because it really shows that they're on the way up. In Lando Norris, also, that they've got a guy that they've backed for a long time now. And he's shown, at least in the early stages, that he can be right up there. And so if they can both, the drivers can both grow at the same time and push the team forward, that's like the perfect scenario for them. And I think Ricardo's going to be a great yardstick for Norris as well, isn't he? He's in his second year now. None of the tracks are going to be new, well, apart from Vietnam when we go there. But we're going to find out just how good Lando Norris is this year as well, which is useful for the team. I think so. And they put so much investment into them. That's not to say that Carlos wasn't a good enough yardstick, but I think you're right in Tom in that Daniel's that step on his knees, a race winner. He's, he's proven. And if Lando can at least come close to him, I think the McLaren will feel pretty confident about their lineup full stop going forward. So it feels a long time ago that Sebastian Vettel's exit from Ferrari was confirmed, but it's just a few days ago. It caught a few people by surprise because up until even a month ago, the noises were fairly positive about him remaining with the team. What do we think has happened for him to walk away from the biggest name in Formula One? There was a surprise, Alex. I think you're right. I think that you could see that the points in which Sebastian struggled last year and he was becoming maybe the number two pick of that team. And then obviously that long-term contract that they gave to Charles um, over the over the winter um, would have strengthened his teammate. His and announce rival. it announce it on Christmas Eve. That's fine. No one will notice. Complete sea change at Ferrari. Absolute perfect timing, wasn't it? What a great Christmas present. And I think that that really would have hurt Sebastian's feelings. And Sebastian seems to me, at least my experience of him, as a driver who needs to have the team pulling for him 100%. And he had that when he first joined Ferrari. And in that last season, in last year, he just didn't have it. And you know, he's realistic enough to know that 
things have changed and the sea, there's a sea change in Formula One. And he's only 32, but they start younger these days and that new wave is coming through. And he, he, was, he was aware that that was the case. I don't personally think it was about the money. I think it was about the fact that Ferrari weren't prepared to offer him a longer deal. I think they would have offered him, even though I don't believe there was a contract, I think they would have said to him, you can stay for another year and then we'll reassess. And I don't think he'd, he was up for that. I think he has really suffered since he left Red Bull in that he's not had anyone fighting his corner in Maranello. At Red Bull, the entire organization was batting for him. Just ask Mark Webber. But at Ferrari, he didn't he hasn't had that person. And I think he never got the connection with Maurizio Riva Bene, team principal. And I think he hasn't quite recovered from that. I do think if he'd had a manager fighting his corner then I think it would have just improved not only relations, but it would have improved his position within the team. And I and I throw it back to their, the crash between the two Ferrari guys in Brazil last year. I remember immediately after the race in the paddock, Nicholas Todd, who was the manager of Charles Leclerc, was right in there with all the management fighting for his guy, whereas, of course, Sebastian had no one. And in fact, I do believe he even rang Bernie Ecclestone after the race to say, Bernie, help me out. And I just wonder whether that would have helped Seb all the way through if he'd had someone right properly ingrained in Maranello. It's interesting that he's never, he, re, he never really thought about that when he joined Ferrari. I guess there was management changes and things changed from when he signed that initial deal. I think people don't really understand the kind of character that Sebastian is when they see him on the telly. And I think that that human side of things is really important to him when you were telling that story, I was almost feeling sorry for him because it, it's almost not even a fair fight, is it? When you've got one side going in to fight for one and, and Sebastian not really having that, especially when he was the more decorated, a four-time world champion. So I think, yeah, I think there's a lot in it, Tom. Is he going to retire? I think that if he can't get a project that can give him the chance to win races and world championships in three or four years time, then yeah, I think he might retire. And I think that would be a huge shame for Formula One. If... McLaren or Renault can convince him that, you know, three years time for us for the long term and we're on this path. This is what we can do. And, you know, you can be the one who leads us forward, you know, kind of like the challenge Fernando tried to take when he went to McLaren. I think that Sebastian's up for the fight because he's definitely still hungry, like he's properly hungry to race and he'll be gutted if he leaves the end of this year. I don't think he'll be happy that he's not racing in Formula One and not racing in Formula One with a team that can win. Do you think he might perhaps consider an offer from, say, uh, Aston Martin, if that gives him a route to team management in the future? Because he struck me as a guy who just has motorsport in his blood. I think when Lewis Hamilton retires, I don't think we'll see very much of him in the decade afterwards. I think if Sebastian Vettel retired, I think he'd very much still be involved. Yeah, because I think he just he loves Formula One, doesn't he? he and I don't think he can imagine his life without it and there were like he's got a long list of things he'd want to do fixing the bikes in his shed and I think he does want some more spare time but I think he's he wants the core of his life to be Formula One so I think that's a, that's a very good shout Alex and I think that I don't know whether Aston Martin is the right project for him but it's a great brand and they're synonymous with Formula One and he does love the history of Formula One so I can see why that potentially might be a good move but I feel like they will need three four five years before they're up and running and I don't know whether Seb wants to do all the hard work and they'd probably have to step up say into a, a management role um, and let someone else take the plaudits. What about Mercedes though? German guy, Bottas's contract's up for renewal, well both of the Mercedes driver's contracts are up for renewal but could we see a Mercedes super team with Vettel and Hamilton next year? 
Well, I think I saw some quotes um, this week where Toto was interviewed and said that he has to consider or not rule out Sebastian. I mean, I guess every team has to consider every option, don't they? I would be surprised. Isn't that just a negotiating contract? Sorry to interrupt, but isn't that just him negotiating with Lewis Hamilton indirectly? I mean, you're probably right, Tom. Isn't that what everyone's really just doing, publicly negotiating? (laughs) (laughs) I can't see it. I can't see Sebastian going to Mercedes unless Lewis leaves. Can you imagine? It would be mega. Lewis and Seb teammates, but Lewis would never have any of that. Is Toto Wolf going to sit down and go, remember that stress from the past? I fancy some more of that. (laughs) So just quickly to rattle through, where do we think Sebastian is going to end up? I'm not betting against him walking away. I think he could just do that. I think his best years are behind him. He realises that he doesn't need the money. And I think I wonder whether this recent lockdown has made him reassess his life and... You know, might still be involved in Formula One in a management way, as you say, but I wonder whether his driving days might indeed be behind him. I can't see him signing anything long term. And I think his thoughts are, if you're walking away from Ferrari and you're a champion, I think you're beginning to think about the future. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him end up with pretty much any team on the grid with a view to then stepping up into some sort of sporting director role, because I think he will do that. I think he's got that mind. I mean, most of the time at Ferrari, he struck me as a a sort of cricket captain figure, both driving and trying to manage at the same time. I wouldn't be surprised to see him sort of do a Damon Hill 97 kind of move and end up with a team where you're like, why is he at Alpha? What's he moved there for? And then see him move further up the ladder. Alpha Romeo, Sebastian Vettel and Mick Schumacher. I mean, what a romantic team that would be. That would be mega. That would be that would be shock of the year, I think, if they pull that one off. What, Mick and Seb? Yeah. There we what are. What a lineup. That's what I'm betting on with him moving up into management later on. Get ready for that to be ruled out by the time this goes to air. Our thanks to Lawrence Barreto, and you can read his work at F1.com. Okay, very quickly to point you in the direction of things happening across the F1 channels this weekend. You can have another look on YouTube of the brilliant 2003 British Grand Prix where Tom was in the pit lane and I was sitting at Woodcote with my dad and my uncle and absolutely loved it. Although no one in the Woodcote grandstand, Tom, could work out what on earth was happening when that man was on the track. No one had a clue. You couldn't tell on the big screens what was going on. I don't think the drivers knew either, did they? That mad kilt running down the track. Uh, it was on the hangar straight, wasn't it? Very, very dangerous. But of course, our friend of the show now, Rubens Barrichello, won, didn't he? He won that race. One of his best ever drives in Formula One, that. So you can relive that. And on Saturday, you can relive one of Fernando Alonso's favourite drives, his spectacular victory in Valencia back in 2012. It's certainly one of the most emotional victories for him Alex not just one of his favorites I've asked him that specific question and he says it is his favorite victory so brilliant race at home in Valencia Alonso at his best it's been a pretty mad week in Formula One let's face it and a lot of the chat has been about Ferrari but what about one of the Ferrari powered teams well Let's have a catch up with the team principal then of Haas, Gunter Steiner. Gunter, it's great to have you on the show. Seb Vettel to uh, Haas in 2021? Um, I wish, but uh, I don't think we are ready for him yet. But uh, I think he has different plans than to coming to us. Well, who knows? We're all waiting to see, aren't we? But let's, how's, how's lockdown been for you, Gunter? in terms of how much contact have you had with the team, the senior members? Have you been speaking to the drivers regularly? 
I mean, lockdown for us is, uh, I think it's the same for all of us, it's getting, uh, it's getting old, basically, you know, we, we, we want all to get out and do something, you know, it's not the getting out, it's just doing something, do something positive, not just speaking about how bad everything is, we need to, uh, hopefully we see light at the end of town soon, but uh, no, it was, it was quite intense, I mean, uh, you guys know that there's a lot going on with the budget cut, trying to survive, making the team survive, it's, it's tough times, you know, if you don't go racing, you don't get money, uh, you just need to try to keep everything as calm as possible to do the most now. So in the end, you're not short of money, obviously, you know, and uh, uh, you just speak with uh, whoever you need to speak with. Yeah, but do you speak to the drivers? How, how are Kev? How's Roman? Uh, I speak with them normally once a week. I mean, I think last week we just WhatsApped at the end of the week. I just tried to, there's not a lot to be said, but we, we speak regularly and we WhatsApp and just they cannot wait to get going again as well. So do you know anything new? And they know if, if I don't tell anything, I haven't got anything. So no, we speak, but they are both doing well. I mean, they are both ready to go. And uh, it's the same for, uh, for all of us. I mean, being locked in your own boards, we're not used to it. And I know that there is worse things than that in life, but it's still... You know, we are all active people and we just want to get going. You've got staff based in three different countries. Is the coronavirus going to pose more of a problem for your team than perhaps other ones? I don't know, but uh, I, I wouldn't think so, uh, because uh, going to the races from the States is only me. So, you know, having uh, a few passports that helps to uh, uh, do these things. So, uh, uh, but uh, otherwise, Italy and, and uh, uh, the UK, there are both places where there are other teams based us. So we work together in a group and uh, uh, always in a group. We're always stronger than on, uh, on our own. So I think we'll be all right. And as we wind up to the season start, what have you specifically been told about the start of the campaign, which is still listed for Austria? Yeah, uh, I mean, in the moment, everybody is uh, working diligently to make it happen. I think there's a few small hurdles still to be uh, crossed, but uh, uh, I think we're in a good way, and I hope so. Uh, I mean, the team manager is doing the daily work on that one, uh, uh, making sure that, uh, that, that uh, the protocols are follow from FOM, which FOM then I guess uh, they get from some authorities. And FOM is dealing with the Romans. We are not involved in that one and we, we have our trust in FOM because they, they are as interested as we are to get going as soon as possible. How important is it for a team like Haas that we do get going? I mean, if there were to be no racing in 2020, can a team like yours survive? I think that it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a long round uh, answer to that one. If you don't go racing... I think we can survive. It is a complete different scenario uh, than going racing. I think the worst of all would be if you have got only eight races because then you race, spend a lot of money, but you have got little income. Right? If you don't race, you don't spend the money, obviously, because you don't go to races and you don't need uh, car parts. The car is frozen for next year anyway, so uh, I, I hope the plan works that we go to at least uh, uh, 15 races. So that, that seems to be the magic number for getting... Uh, economically the 15 races so hopefully we get that one done but uh, uh, I think there is uh, FM has got the same interest as we have got we, we need to get a, a proper uh, schedule in or nothing you know and nothing is not good for the sport in general I think because uh, some fans will break away and just find other things to uh, to watch and to get uh, enthusiastic about so I think we, we owe also to the fans to go racing it's not it's not about us we always speak about us what we need to do and what we how we are frustrated. There's a lot of people which, uh, millions of people which followed us over the years and I think we should try to do the utmost to get them entertained again because obviously they like it otherwise they, they wouldn't be watching it. So I think you've got a, a responsibility there as well. So 
uh, and, uh, and they keep us going. So hopefully we can get it done. Gunter, in terms of your standing in the sport, you've been involved in motorsport for a very long time. But in recent years, your celebrity, if you like, has gone through the roof thanks to the appearance of the Drive to Survive series. Have you ever watched it? No. They always answer, but nobody believes me. That's the thing. No, well, no one does believe you. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but no, no, I'm not saying that people don't believe me. No, I, I didn't watch it, and I have no plan. My wife sometimes says, oh, "You need to watch it." No, I'm not going to watch it because then maybe I'm embarrassed for the next two weeks. You know how I behave. Yeah. So I, I avoid it. Gunther, I think we should watch a minute right now. No, <laughs> I close my <laughs> eyes if you do that to me. <laughs> No, I, I, I think it's not that uh, I, I don't particularly watch my like to watch myself even interviews or things like this. I, I don't really uh, care, and that I don't mean it negative. I don't care. I mean it just like uh, it's not it's not any of any interest to me. But but, but one of the things is I, I, I think this is a, a a real show where people got to see how F1 is, and 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 for me to watch myself, and then for sure I, I would critique my what, what you guys tells me how I behave. It's not how I, I want to behave, maybe, but it's just the, the, the emotions get the better of me. I don't want to think a lot about it because next time when I do some recording, then I think too much and then it's not authentic anymore and then it's not me. And I think for the fans, the best is they see what people do really in real life and I'm not acting and I don't want to end up trying to act because that would be completely wrong. But uh, I think put yourself in my position is, is like if you watch yourself, you always can learn out of uh, something and you're doing this for a... Uh, that is your job, uh, you know, doing interviews and things like this. For sure, you watch yourself to get better next time. So for everyone at home, and if you've got sensitive ears nearby, don't worry, we'll bleep it. This is what happens, not just from Gunter. This is what happens in Formula One if you hit your teammate. I f***ed enough of both of you. You let the team down, me down, which I protected you all the time. And I'm not going into who is right and who is wrong. I don't want to hear, he moved, he said that moved and all that you know. Gene spends hundreds million a year of his own money, which wants to pull the plug and let everybody down because you are too yes. I have not more to say to you guys. And if you don't like it, I don't need you here. Do not come back, please. What was that? Kevin just smashed the door. That's not acceptable. He's not doing that to me, you know. He does not smash my door. Tell him that. If he doesn't want to come back, he better tell me now. Is he just yeah, now? Yeah. He smashed my office door. Where is he? I don't know where he is, but he can I told him, both of them. We have got two idiots driving for us. This is not acceptable and we will make changes. If it would be my decision now, I would suck them both. But I'm not in the entertainment business, to be honest. You know, I mean it, but uh, not. that's not my main job. My, my job is to run a team and, and, and do that one. So... I concentrate on that one and not the entertainment business. The entertainment business, people picked up on it because they like it. And I think they like it because it's authentic, because there is no acting involved. So it sounds really complicated how I explain it. I cannot explain it any different, but it isn't, it isn't this complicated. It's pretty easy for me. I want to be myself. If people like it, fine. If people don't like it, fine as well. I do my job, which is running a race team. So uh, that is simplifying the long run, what I said before. Do you get any fan mail? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I scared them away, the fans, huh? <laughs> well, thanks to Gunter Steiner for his time. When I was threatening to play that clip, he looked like he was going to reach through the screen 
It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Because on the one hand, he was saying he quite likes to look at himself to, to see how he can improve his interview technique. And yet he never watches that. Perhaps he needs to. That is a totally accurate reflection of what happens on the bad days. And I think Haas and Gunter deserve a lot of credit for showing everyone the reality. And I think that is why he's developed such a cult following, because people think he's real. Yes, we see Toto Wolf banging his fist when it doesn't go right at Mercedes, and we see a bit of emotion elsewhere, but you really sense that Gunter is real. And something you picked up on uh, in the interview there was that he's a guy with so much experience. He's been there and done it, and that somehow gives him even more credibility, at least in my eyes. So good on you, Gunter. You're listening to F1 Nation. You know, he's Tom. I'm Alex. And yes, it's that time of the show. This is Challenge Rosanna. And Rosanna, are you there? I am, TC. Hello. Hello, Alex, as well. How are you both? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very, very well. How are you? Are you keeping on top of all the news this week? It has been a busy one, hasn't it? That F1 driver market already kicking off and it's only May. I am so excited to see what the grid's going to end up looking like. Okay, to business. Who have you got for us this week, Rosanna? Well, do you remember episode one when you sent me the challenge to get a driver on the phone? How could we forget? Do you also remember that Esteban Gutierrez left me hanging? Yeah, I think everyone remembers. <laughs> yeah, it yes. was an embarrassing few moments of my short uh, career. This week, I have managed to get hold of Esteban Gutierrez, the reserve and development driver for the Mercedes-AMG Petronas Formula One team, and I am very much looking forward to talking to him. Right then, it's time to spin the F1 wheel of fortune. And, ooh, Rosanna, it's a new one. Team Radio, and you have to get Esteban to cast his mind back to 2014, to his crash when he was flipped upside down. Do you remember? In Bahrain. Oh, I do remember that one. That was a big crash. And this is what he said. Whoa, what was that? So your challenge, Rosanna, is to get him to repeat those lines. Oh, that is quite a tough one, but I will go for it. Wish me luck. Esteban Gutierrez, how are you? I'm very well, actually. <laughs> Radical change on our lives these days. It really is, isn't it? I saw on your Instagram that you listed out your schedule for the day, which was working, exercising and esports. Has anything changed since that post? No, now more than ever, we are so connected virtually that, that the workload has increased, actually. And in one way, that's very positive, considering the situation I think from this situation, there's also lots of positives that we can we can take, and um, and for us to continue training, continue being active on esports is helping me keep my sharpness, and uh, it's been very positive on that side. You've been heavily involved with esports with the hashtag Gutty Pass. I know you have so much experience of simulator driving and a lot of esports. How have you been finding the competition? Well, that's the point. I mean, I have a lot of experience with the simulator that we have in, in the team, which is a more scientific simulator. It's the simulator we use to develop the cars, our cars. And, and it has an incredibly amount of realism involved in terms of how, you know, the characteristic of the car, how it feels, how it drives. And 
in comparison to the simulator I have at home, we use the gaming platforms, which are completely different. And they require a lot of hours to be spent to find the, the time, to find the lab time to get used to them. Uh, there's a lot of things you can actually benefit that you can try to do to manipulate the game uh, to be a lot quicker. So it's been a real challenge, but the exercise of the challenge has been, has been great and it's been really fun. It's been brilliant bringing everybody together, hasn't it? The celebrities as well as people from the F1 grid. Yes, and I think, you know, one big part is how we've been able to interact with our fans, with our followers, which is one of the things that I have enjoyed the most. I can be driving, I can be racing, competing. At the same time, I can be uh, having a conversation with, with my followers. They can ask questions, they can, you know, and they can see my face. I don't have a helmet that it's uh, blocking my expression. So... I think that's something that we have found very positive impact on the people that are following um, and that as well from our side. In, ca in my case, I'm enjoying it a lot. One of the great things about esports is, of course, there isn't so much financial impact if you have a crash. And I always remember from 2014, that incredible crash you had in Bahrain where you flipped and it was with Pastor Maldonado, wasn't it? What did you say as you flipped? Because that was a, a big old crash. It was an incredible surprise because I did not see it coming at all. Um, Pastor was exactly on my blind spot. The most difficult part was the landing because it was very hard on the on the monocoque, and that you know it felt really strong on my on my lower back on my on, on all my back actually because it when when the monocoque crashes into the ground it's a very it's a lot of energy going through your body so it was a little bit painful uh, at that time in that moment but uh, luckily nothing major happened. Can you remember what you shouted? Yeah, I, I remember I was like, what was that? I mean, I was so surprised that uh, I was asking what the hell happened. <laughs> it was a very confusing moment, I think, for everyone when we finally realised what had happened. Let's talk about the news in the Formula One world at the moment. The driver market has come alive. You, of course, know what it feels like to wear red when you spent time uh, at Ferrari. Just talk us through the mindset for a driver during negotiations. Is it a feeling of excitement, nerves, worry? There is a lot of excitement involved from the moment you realize that there is an interest of a team, and especially a team that it's as important as, in my case, Mercedes, or in, in the case of Carlos Sainz, for example, is Ferrari, which is a big step in his career. There is a lot of excitement. At the same time, it requires a lot of excitement management because you need to be very objective in certain things on how you deal with the negotiations and also actually formalizing the deal. As much as we drivers have people around us who support us on, on that process, it's, it's us who are directly affected by, by the decisions we make. And you have to be heavily involved into some of the details that are important for you to perform well in, in the future with, with the new team. When we think about where Sebastian Vettel might head, were you surprised at his announcement? Did you think it would come this soon? I, I didn't think the driver market would move very quickly and, and, and very soon. But at the same time, if I, if I think of how the season has gone so far, we have not started with the season. It will probably start in July, probably a bit optimistic to start as early as in July. But assuming that it's the case, then it's already the time where uh, contract talks are 
are, are being held in any case in a normal season. So the fact that right now there is the time to, you know, for everyone to actually think about the strategy of, of the team going forward, the driver plans and so on. I think it, it was a it was a time where everyone started to talk. And especially, you know, in, in Sebastian's case, I was not surprised because I know position that Sebastian had in the team. You know, he's very clever. He he knows and he's been working with, with the team. He's very human person inside the team and he works very closely with, with all the team members uh, for one objective. And once that is not in harmony and, and he didn't feel that it was working in the you know in, in the right way then of course uh, it's it's something that uh, he was very honest and very open with the team and that's why they jointly decided to not not to continue so how are you approaching the next few weeks keeping my eyes very open because i want to be back racing that's what i'm actively working on and at the same time keeping myself very active with my preparation, the virtual races, which is now what we are into and we want to be the best in the virtual world. But as soon as everything comes back to normal, then of course I want to be in, in a strong position and I really want to come back and uh, and show the, the skills I've got in the real life as I've shown in the virtual world as well. Uh, Esteban Gutierrez, thank you so much for joining us on F1 Nation. Another challenge completed. I, for one, am getting sick of this. Every single week, you're completing the challenges. You can never have too much success as far as I'm concerned. Uh, That was wonderful. I couldn't believe he actually said it in in exactly the same tone as well. I thought it was quite interesting to hear about him complaining about his back and and the sort of the impact as well. We even got some real flesh on the bone, didn't we, about the incident? Absolutely. Maybe he needed more flesh on the bone to have protected him from that incident. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks to Rosanna, another challenge completed. Well done, you. And that's almost it for this week's show. Thanks to Rubens Barrichello, Gunter Steiner, Esteban Gutierrez, Lawrence Barreto, Rosanna Tennant, and you for listening. Remember to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoyed what you heard. You could get your post read out on the show, like Katie, who says she's absolutely loving the new F1 Nation podcast. Hopefully Tom and Alex continue with it even after lockdown. Now there's an idea.